This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. I don't know. Whatever. What's up? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Stayed out too late last night. Did you? Mm-hmm. I know that when I get texts from you at 9.30 my time <laughs> saying that you've been standing at this bar for 15 minutes and you're about to get your own beer. <laughs> Holy shit. 12.30. You animal. <laughs> on, a, on a school night. <laughs> I, I didn't get home till 3. We shut down two bars, two different bars. Like we were at one bar and they closed and so we went across the courtyard to another bar that was still open. It's good. It's a good time. I just got drunk and yelled about TDD and MVVM as I tend to do. <laughs> You're so much fun. Yeah. You drink? <laughs> hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Face. Ugh. I woke up at nine. It was like nine ten. 9.15, something like that. And I was like, shit. <laughs> like, jumped up. But I made, I was in the office at 10.30. They're pretty good. Like, I got here in just over an hour. Hung over. <laughs> you know? Yep. Worked out well. What's your commute? I mean, it depends on when I come in. But it can be from 20 minutes to 45, 50 minutes, depending on traffic and whatever. How's your week been? I feel like I've really been struggling this week, and I can't exactly tell you why. Hmm. I've just been having a really hard time with code. Hmm. I don't know if I'm just tired hmm. or what's going on. Yeah. The simplest things are seem insurmountable. Is it, I mean, I don't even remember what you've been working on. My brain's fried today. Yeah, exactly. But hmm. you just summed up my week. <laughs> so what do we want to talk about? You always ask me this, mm-hmm. and I always wish that I had a really great, enthusiastic answer. <laughs> but alas, I don't. Nothing. Coming off that 50th show, man. I know. We just kick our heels up now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just, just ride it out. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait for those beer endorsements to come in. Yeah. So we did talk about, last time we talked about lessons learned from MVVM. You think there's anything else to go over there? No, I think we covered it yeah. pretty well. I'm trying to think of conversations I had last night. It's not working. You're no longer allowed to go out on Thursday nights <laughs> to tech events. This I, this, I mean, that last night that that's not normal. Normally, I like leave and take the twelve twenty because there's a commuter train that goes back to where I live. It's like twelve twenty, so that gives me like a hard out when I have to leave. And, you know, it means that I, I'm not going to get too, I'm not going to drink too much by that point. But Uber is so goddamn cheap right now <laughs> that, that, dude, it's, it's crazy. I can be in downtown Boston. I've done this a number of times. I'll be in downtown Boston and get an Uber X from downtown Boston to my house, which is out in the suburbs, basically. And it costs me like $16. So... <laughs> Like, why not? Like, I split a cab from this bar downtown last night with a buddy of mine who also lives in Waltham. 
and it costs us like nine dollars each screw it nine bucks that's so insane nine bucks you know like i don't have to walk i don't have to rush to you know make the train i can coerce the people i'm with into drinking more beers I can't believe that you you couldn't get an UberX across San Francisco for that cheap. No way. Yeah, that's only seven even, miles across. Even UberX? Are you guys not doing the? Do they have the? Because one of the things is it's twenty five percent off right now for all the entire summer. It's been. Yeah, I'm not sure that's happening here. I think that might just be a Boston thing. Bummer. It's really is nice. UberX new. There. Not really. I've been using it for a while. What's the deal with taxis in San Francisco? You can't just hail a cab, right? No, I just heard this. This is yeah, news to me. I didn't know that either. But that's what Carlo was saying, right? Is that you can't... That, that they can apparently get tickets for just picking people up. Right. You have to schedule a cab. You can't just hail one. I've hailed so many cabs. <laughs> I, I think that might just be one of those things where in certain areas, they're just not going to do anything about it. Like if you're out on a Friday night in North Beach... right. There's cabs everywhere because there's just bars everywhere and people right. are out. You can just grab a cab and go. Like right. no one is hmm. going to stop a cab and give them a ticket for that. Hmm. I could see if it's like Soma in the middle of the week at lunchtime and you're <laughs> right. like blocking traffic. Right. Maybe. Right. But yeah, that's that's news to me. Hmm. So local ordinances are the uh, topic of the week. <laughs> I guess. I'm telling you, man, like there's nothing better than like <laughs> just being like, just waking up the next morning super hungover and it's just like, oh crap, how'd I get here? And then you have that Uber receipt. It's like, oh man, I made a really reasonable decision last <laughs> night to take an Uber home for like six dollars. <laughs> like, that that couldn't have worked out better. Like that's the not only is that the safest thing I could have done, it's also the cheapest. Like it would have cost more in gas to drive drunk. You know, <laughs> win win. Because <laughs> that's the best reason not to drive drunk. The cost of it. Well, is just gas is really expensive <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a horrible thing to do. Oh, man. I think I was on the verge of actually having an idea of what to talk about. And then so jokes. <laughs> uh, I would say we could talk about, since we just did push notifications in the app, we could talk about that again. But I don't think there's much to say other than that like zero push made the entire process completely painless and did it without swapping out the app delegate for a proxy. Like <laughs> we could talk about this. Is it just going to be an endorsement for zero push? It might turn into one. Yeah. At least we can invoice them for it. <laughs> there we go. It was nice though. Like, I, so I ranted about this. We talked about this a while back cause I did like just push notifications on this app and it took me like three days to get it all working with Urban Airship, and it was like a pain in the neck. In implementing it, just seeing the creepy, weird, hacky stuff that they do, like they have their own app delegate that they put into your app, and they replace your app, the actual app, de the actual app delegate, they replace it with a proxy object mm. that sends messages to their app delegate and then also your app delegate got it. it so it's like it's like the um it's like the double delegate proxy thing that mm -hmm. we've discussed before they're doing the same exact thing yeah just forwarding the push notification messages to their object right forwarding the rest to yours it i guess 
makes sense. Like, I guess I, I think I understand why they wanted to do it that way, which is that they wanted to make it make the whole process essentially automatic. But it still drives me crazy. Like, it still seems super invasive for them to do that to an application, you know? Like, just don't mess with my app delegate. Like, of all freaking things, what do you do? Like, don't don't do that. That's so weird. So contrary to that, like, doing the zero push, zero push, one, like, all of their prefixes make sense. Not like Urban Airship. <laughs> but then, actually, I don't think they prefix anything, but the name of the one class that you deal with is literally zero push, and I can't imagine that conflicting with anything. <laughs> um but then, like, you, the whole setup process is, like, super straightforward. It's exactly like you'd expect to happen as opposed to Urban Airship, where is this constant, like, what freaking methods do I have to define again? What, you know, this was just, like, here's my API key. Here are the push notifications I want to register for. And then when you get the token data back, you just send it off to them yourself, which is fine. And then they have a nice little decoding method that you can use so that you can just say uh, string from token data, I think, and pass in the data. And then it hands you back the string representation of that token. So then you can send it off to your own servers. But it's like really nice. It took like five minutes versus three days. It's like, oh, wow. You think Urban Airship was just trying to be too clever? Like an, uh, it, their goal was yeah. to make it completely painless to install, but you, without a good understanding of like what it's doing, it actually makes things worse. Yeah, yeah. There's there's too much magic in Urban Airship. This didn't feel like magic at all in a good way. Like it felt like I was being explicit about exactly what I wanted to do, and it was just doing it the right way, you know, which felt nice. Made it easier to test, you know, because I was e- able to quickly mock that thing out. And make assertions based on it. And because I was controlling the behavior, I wasn't worried about like stuff just happening in the background when I wasn't paying attention. So I was able to control the whole flow. Just a better experience. I'll definitely use zero push again the next time I have to do this, assuming that there isn't a requirement for Android push notifications too. That's like the one thing, is that they only do iOS. But it looked like it was easy from the server too, because they have like a they have like a Heroku add-on which i know nothing about but it's apparently just you basically like click a button and they're like now you have zero push it's like oh so then i just uploaded the certs done straightforward hmm. yeah see i don't know was, i don't think that was particularly interesting yeah show notes for this show <laughs> a nice 12 minute long uh you talk about the the protocol stuff. What specifically? This just the refactor itself. I think that'd be interesting because I I think that I think that I I feel like I was talking about this last night. It's you possible. don't remember? No, I don't remember. Why would I remember? <laughs> um, people like the iOS community, the Objective C community. I feel like as a whole tends to not think in protocols did i say that last night or did i say this on the show last week <laughs> yes that one yes Crap. we we just we just briefly you know basically said that talking point yeah. at the end of last week's show 
but yes, I, I, I agree with you. Like too quick to concrete types. Yeah. For and behavior. Sub, and subclasses. You know? uh, right. Yeah. Using yeah. inheritance to keep a common interface instead of using protocols to keep a common interface across multiple objects. But I mean, even Foundation or UIKit doesn't use it too much. I think like the biggest addition that's all protocol-based is all of the view controller transition stuff from iOS 7. Mm-hmm. That's just, uh, what, three or four protocols? Right. Which is super flexible because otherwise you'd end up things with like UI transitioning view controller that you have to subclass mm-hmm. and like load view controllers into. Yeah. What a pain in the ass. Well, I mean, you have like the delegates. I mean, those are all protocols that you can form to. I right, just... but the, the system itself is only expecting protocols, like objects that conform to a protocol instead of concrete types. Like at some point you hand things off and be like, hey, transition me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just the delegates. There's like transition coordinators and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stuff like that. Right. Is there stuff there to talk about though? Like can you explain like what the problem? Yeah, it was actually two things that came up uh, at once. So of course we have a user and we have the concept of viewing your profile and everything was good. <laughs> you know, you, right. you create a user profile view model with your user and you plug it into the view controller and it shows everything and it updates everything and it's great. And then two things happen in the last two weeks and last week around the same time. And one is um, we now have to handle the concept of, well, it's, it, it's like a, an organization can mm. also post. So we have users and organizations, but from the client's perspective, they're all just things that provide content. Right. even though they're separate objects. So that seems like a no-brainer right there. So we, we do have the a sort of like author protocol mm-hmm. that both objects conform to and things aren't so bad. Mm-hmm. And then we added a feature where, you know, you tap an avatar anywhere in the application in like, a, in like a posts list or on a comment and we push on a new view controller that looks like the old profile view controller but should show users. But now it has to show agencies as well or organizations. Right. I mean, so basically, the current user profile is really still expecting a user object. Right. And the reason for that is, is that once you're on your profile, you can edit your profile. And that requires us sending a user object into the edit profile to initially fill it out and then accept any changes and then on saving, commit those back. And that has to be a copy. We can't be mutating a reference to the user because that's like the current user that's being used throughout the application. If you were to cancel, we don't want to commit those changes we're not using core data here. So because of that, and like we're really expecting a user, edit profile is expecting a user, we need the sort of your profile view controller to only care about users. But when we push on a profile view controller anywhere else, it should only really care about authors. So it seems like this would be a place where you'd want two view controllers, which is what we ended up doing. But instead of duplicating it, we're using the normal view controller sort of everywhere. And then when it comes time to show your profile, we're embedding that in a container view controller that knows about users. Then it just kind of says, hey, here's this protocol object. You don't really need to know what this is about, but just like display it. But if there's specific user profile actions, that's handled in the container. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So you have a, basically my pro, the current user profile view controller is just like a simple wrapper that has those buttons, you know, a button to edit your profile. And it holds on to the current user or it gets the current user from wherever 
whatever yeah. it, it knows it knows about the current user and then it has as its child view controller it has the normal profile view controller and it passes the user down into that as this id author or right. whatever would you end up calling that protocol um, I did change it to content provider and then from, I realized that I, yeah. I was from author and I was getting nothing out of it. So I'm like, I just put it back to author. To author. Yeah. Have you, did you finish this? No. Everything okay. I described, most of that is not in code yet. Mm-hmm. It's still sitting in my head and just needs to be written out. <laughs> yeah. What are the challenges? Like, obviously is it going to save us a little bit of duplication in having to have the same like two different kinds of the same basic view controller. The sort of strange bit is that I had to add the remote identifier to that protocol. Um, what do you I mean? had to, I, so, oh, you know, oh, I, I see, I see. I each see. object, you know, every, every object has a sort of remote identifier, which is what we get from the server. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I had to surface that in the protocol because when we show that profile, we right. have to update it. We have right. to go fetch that. Right. To make sure that, yeah, to make sure that we have all the data for that user, agent, organization, whatever. And actually, you know, I I might be able to get away with the remote ID property, but the implementers of this protocol have to know how to update themselves Mm -hmm. on the API client. Mm -hmm. And I haven't exactly tackled that yet because it does feel odd for for those objects to implement updating themselves with the API client. Yeah. I haven't quite figured that out yet. But that's down the line. So say that. Sorry, say that again. What's the problem there? So what we used to do is we used to go to the user profile view controller. We would hit the API client and say, "Hey, update the current user." We wouldn't even give it a user. It would just go make a request to the server. The server mm-hmm. looks at our auth token, knows who we are, sends us back an updated representation of whatever's new. Mm-hmm. We update it and reload the view. Mm-hmm. Now imagine I click on the avatar of an organization in the feed, and I go to that. Now I need to view. I need I need that organization to update oh, itself. Oh, I see. Yeah, because that's a different endpoint than a user. Exactly. Hmm. So that's the part where I'm kind of hung up, just because I can't decide where to where that network action should be fired from. You'd have to switch on something, right? You'd have to have some conditional that says if this is a user, do this. If it's an organization, do this. What do you switch on? Exactly. <laughs> Class checking sounds dirty, but. Kind right, of accurate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, just just in that, like, what we really need to make sure is that we're getting the right kind of object. So we need to know what kind of object we're being handed. This kind of gets back to the stuff that Tony was doing in Swift and the ability to have more generic. Like, for example, this feels like it could be simplified if we had some sort of um, basically fetch author, you know, fetch author with completion block. And we pass in an author. And that author knows what endpoint needs to be hit in order to update that kind of thing. Yes. I did have the thought as I was starting to move into this that this is going to kind of like, if this works out, it's going to lay the groundwork for creating more protocols for our objects. Yeah. Things that are, they're fetchable, they're yep. deletable. Yep. That's, they're that's, updatable. That's exactly what I was just thinking about. Because I do feel like this is the last place where there's just tons of, 
mm, I say tons. I don't think we have tons of duplication anywhere in our app, but I think this is where the most duplication is, is around these common actions on model objects that follow a very specific pattern. I like the idea of fetchable, updatable, creatable, those kind of things. I really do. The only thing that still bothers me about that is sticking that stuff on the model, but that's the SRP thing that weirds me out. You know what I mean? Like having, you know, users know what their API endpoint is just feels gross. But then the the flip side of that is that from an API standpoint, that's super nice to just hand a model object to the net to the API client and just be like, make this for me, please. And then it will just go off and make it. But then going further with that, we'd immediately lose the type safety in our return block. So the nice thing about the thing you can do in Swift is you can have a generic, you know what I mean? And you can define the return type in that same object. So it knows what endpoint to hit, and it also knows what type is going to be returned from it. You know what I mean? You can't do that here. Everything's going to end up being ID coming back. And one of the things I like about our networking stack right now is that we do have good type support because we have just all these endpoint-specific methods that cast the normal return block as what object is actually being returned from that endpoint. Yeah, at this point, I think I'm most constrained by the language. Yeah, right. Especially, I mean, especially seeing what we could do if this was Swift. You know, like I said, like we could have these functions that do these things that we want that maintain type safety the whole way through. And we're not actually getting type safety from casting values in the return block. But from an API standpoint, it does feel nicer to like auto to have Xcode complete a code block and tell me what is going to be returned from that endpoint. Yeah. I mean, we can be about as sure as you can be in Objective-C that it will be these objects. Right. So I'd say there's some safety. Like if it, if it does fall down, there's a bigger problem. It's not really our API client. Right. And there's enough tests around the API client. Although like when I was doing this, so I just did that refactoring of our API client just to remove a bunch of duplication. We had, we had a, you know, every endpoint was individually sending the completion block back onto the main thread. And uh, we had this same duplicated logic in a bunch of places for places where all we needed to know was, did this request succeed or not? And we were talking about adding error. Ha- we need to add error handling to the application. So it was like, well, where do we put that? I started looking at it and it was like, oh, I don't want to put it in every single endpoint. It's just crazy and add tests for every single endpoint didn't make sense so refactoring everything so that it works a little bit nicer and one of the side effects of that refactor was that we decided to change the type the block the default block type so every endpoint now returns a very standardized block or has a standardized block that it uses for completion and that block um because it used to be different everywhere. Some some requests were passing back a model object and an error, which we were almost always ignoring because he was like, we'll deal with error handling later. Some blocks were just returning a Boolean 
Yes. Now, some blocks were returning nothing. Some blocks were just, you know, void blocks. So we changed all of them to be a Boolean on whether or not the request was successful. And then also an any basically an object typed as ID. Um, and so you can ignore that object if you want. Um, it could be nil. The object may just end up being nil if we are explicitly ignoring the return JSON. But w during that refactor, when I was running the tests, and this made me really happy to have tests in place, when I was running the tests, there were a bunch of places where I had typed, you know, it was actually in the tests that this was happening, but I was like stubbing out using NS invocations and doing all this kind of like wacky stuff to stub out that network client and force it to return a specific block so that I could make assertions on it. But there were a bunch of places where I was typing the block manually. You know what I mean? So I was manually saying, this is the type of this block. And then using NS invocation to get the block that was passed into that invocation and put it in the memory of the local. It's like a weird pattern. I never de dealt with NS invocation stuff that much before, but this is like the only thing I've done. But w when I updated the definition of what that block actually was, type def to, like the compiler didn't catch that those were the wrong thing. So all of a sudden I was getting like weird exe bad access stuff all over the place. And it was specifically because I was like forcing the actual block into the wrong type and then like calling it with the wrong number of arguments. And it just like ends up with weird errors. Wait, so why is that good now? Because <laughs> tests? I don't know, man. I don't know where I was yeah. going with that. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Anyway, that was a weird tangent. What happened? Where am I? Polarbear.gif. Uh, um, <laughs> anyway, protocols. I was actually wondering if we shouldn't create like a higher level protocol that defines stuff like remote id because there that's a very common thing that we have you know what i mean and we could have like a server object or a um remote object protocol that defines that do you think it's odd though that in order to fulfill a protocol every object has to basically define a property that's exactly what is declared in the protocol whenever i see that i always think why not just subclass? Uh, kind of, but I don't. I don't know. I'm still just not okay with sub with with superclasses. Like I just think that you could. I don't know, man. Like I get what you're saying, but it feels cleaner to define abstract interfaces and then just manually have things conform to them. Versus starting to build up an inheritance tree, mm -hmm. you know, you could because then you could do things like, for example, getting back to that fetchable, updatable stuff. All of those could just extend this remote object protocol, so that now you don't have to define remote ID in every one of these protocols. You just define it in remote object. Anything that's a remote object has these properties. Anything that's fetchable now also has these properties on top of the remote object stuff. Anything that's updatable has these blah, 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 blah. That feels nicer. You know what I mean? It feels like it's, it's inheritance. I kind of see it as like inheritance without the baggage of like actual implementation. You know what I mean? 
So my biggest problem with do, with like inheritance is always changing stuff gets harder. Making changes and making fixes, they, it just gets harder after a while because you build up you build up these base objects and it just makes sense. You keep saying like, you know, we're doing this everywhere. What we should move, you know, we should move this concept of what we're doing everywhere. We should move that back down into the base layer. You know, you keep doing that. You keep doing that. You keep doing that. And all of a sudden, you end up with freaking, like, NS object, right? Which is huge and does a ton of crap and has a whole bunch of stuff bolted onto it. And is like, it gets unwieldy, you know? And then when you need to make one change, you know, there's a bug in this specific subclass. But I can't change it because if I change it in the base, it's implemented in the base class. The bug's coming from the base class. And so if I change it in the base class then I have to make sure that it's not breaking everything in all these other super subclasses. So then you end up like throwing a freaking conditional or a switch or something in that base class. And now the base class has to know about its possible subclasses. You know what I mean? And it's doing stuff based on these sub it's like not mm -hmm. good times, man. Yeah. When the base class has behavior and then the subclasses have to call super, you know, right. like when they're contractually obligated to call super. And then you actually have to look in the implementation to see, well, when I when should I be calling super? Like right. at the top of the method, at the bottom of the method, that's what gets me is the um, the sort of, uh, what do you call that, like connescence of ordering mm -hmm. problem that you get. And the, and the other feeling of like you fix one bug and something pops out somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. It's maddening. Another Another like actual big issue that drives me freaking crazy with inheritance is when you have to subclass something and now you have to make things that should be internal and private. You have to make them public so that the subclass knows about them. You know what I mean? They shouldn't be touched. They shouldn't actually be part of the implementation or the, the public interface to an object, but you have to make it part of the public interface because the subclass has to know that, for example, it has an array of posts that it can add to and delete from. You just have to do it. So all of a sudden this internal or or like read-only array of posts has to be read-write unless you redefine it in the subclass, which feels dirtier somehow. You know what I mean? It feels like actively subverting. Like now, now my subclass, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it because like I always feel like it's almost like when you have to do that, like when you're redeclaring internal implementation details of a superclass that you just know exist, it's almost like you're now coupling yourself and your knowledge to that code. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, it boils down to subclassing requires you to know the internals of your parent class. It's almost impossible to have an effective subclass that's based only on the public interface. Right. That's and why, I mean, yeah, there are classes in obviously in UIKit that do it, you know, obviously, you know, UI view controller, we can make assumptions about what it does internally, but we can't see it. Right. It's just tested well enough. But I, I'm willing to bet that there are horrible, horrible hacks going on in UIKit to make things easier for us. Yeah, I'm sure. Like compatibility and, mm -hmm. you know, like maintaining public interfaces that can't just change every release. Mm -hmm. I bet it's pretty gross. <laughs> yeah. I read on Twitter someone was talking about that, and I don't know if this is in Cocoa or in Cocoa Touch. I have a feeling that it's in Cocoa, not in Cocoa Touch, or 
Well, they were saying it's in foundation, but I'd have to bet that this isn't designed for, it's not geared towards iOS apps, but it's geared towards Mac applications. But someone, I don't remember who it was, it may have been Dave DeLong or someone that used to be or currently is at Apple, I don't remember. But they were saying that in foundation, there are specific places in foundation where they actively look for swizzling from specific third-party apps and undo it. Like, that that these apps came out and they swizzled something incorrectly and broke stuff, like, at the system level. And so there are parts of foundation that are designed specifically for undoing the mistakes of specific, like, they said, he said specific applications. Like, like, look at, you know, who swizzled this? Was it? freaking delicious monster okay hold on a second you know, <laughs> i gotta i'll be right back i gotta fix this up you know i'm sure it's not delicious monster but um <laughs> you know I, hope I, mean? that, I hope that whole class is called like ns babysitter that just like <laughs> follows it's like following a toddler around yeah. when they're making a mess and like trying to clean up after them yeah it's george like, michael no, we're just gonna ns tur- ns george michael <laughs> turning off the stove turning off the stove <laughs> it's got the the oc disorder <laughs> where did, how do we get onto that Man, this is a weird show. <laughs> yeah, like I so jumping back again to what I think we were originally talking about before that. Most of our rants end in arrested development, huh? Like I feel like that happens a lot. Anyway, so the flip side of of the inheritance problem of like building up this baggage of well the superclass is doing all these weird things. It feels nice and clean to be able to just say, like, no, this is my interface, and there is no implementation baggage to this. I'm going to implement it specifically how I need to implement it for this specific subclass. You know what I mean? No, you completely lost me. Okay. It was a combination of you were talking really fast, and I got distracted. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Basically, that baggage, like, instead of dealing with legacy baggage because of an inheritance tree... Even if stuff gets re-implemented in multiple classes, I'd rather that than have that baggage stick around. You know what I mean? Plus, if there is duplication across multiple classes that happen to conform the same interface, there's probably an object you can abstra- you can extract there to handle the whatever is being duplicated. Like, really contrived example, but... If you have a bunch of objects, you know, and they conform the same interface and you have to transform like their name somehow and you keep transforming their name in all these specific classes, you probably just pull that logic out into some kind of a name transformer that just takes a name and does the transformations that you need to do and returns that. Yeah, that makes sense. Is that it? Sorry, Is that a show? I, yeah. Are you no, just what are you uh, doing yeah. over there? <laughs> sorry, sorry. I I accidentally opened Skype and they're talking about the ice bucket challenge and I had to jump in. Oh, Slack. You opened Slack. What do I call it? Skype. This is Skype. Oh. Whatever. <laughs> it's all software. All right. Is that it? Are yeah. we done? <laughs> Put a bullet in this, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, show notes for this episode are gonna be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash build phase slash 51 nailed it nailed first it. try i well know done. right nailed it and we'd love to hear from you so email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on twitter at build phase and as always we appreciate ratings and reviews on itunes
Yes. <laughs> Done. I'm going to go watch the Astros. All right. Later. See ya. <laughs>